0: Today on the Cameron Journal podcast, we're talking with Brian Hartzer. This is another interview about business and leadership and why it is so important to have good leadership skills and potential in leading your teams and bringing your team to its full potential. So if you are leading a team and you want to find out how to optimize their productivity, whether they're in the same office with you or working from home, then this is the interview for you. This is Brian Hartzer. We're going to talk about his new book and a whole bunch of other things. This is the Cameron Journal podcast. Let's go. This is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things, a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you and it's a place where we do important things have important conversations it's also things that i like to talk about my name is cameron cowan and this is the cameron journal podcast Today on the Cameron Journal podcast, I'm talking with Brian Hartzer. He is the former CEO of Westpac, which is apparently a large bank. We've not heard of them, but I'm sure we'll find out all about them in the course of this interview. He's written a new book called The Leadership Star, A Practical Guide to Building Engagement, which he bills as a defense against the Great Resignation and how to keep your staff happy and therefore sticking around. So welcome, Brian, to the Cameron Journal Podcast.
1: How are you? Thanks, Cameron. Thanks for having me. I am very well, thank you.
0: Excellent. Well, let's just dive right in. Uh, Tell us about your book. What do you cover? What do you do? How
1: does this all work? Sure. Well, so my background is as a senior executive in banks. You mentioned Westpac. Westpac is actually Australia's oldest company and one of the four largest banks. It's one of the top 20 banks in the world. Uh, And I was CEO for uh, five years there. And before that, I had a reasonably long career as a senior executive um, at major banks in Australia and in the UK, Um, although you can probably tell from my accent, I'm originally from the States, Um, went down to Australia uh, as a management consultant about 25 years ago. And I was hired by one of my clients and put into a position running A large business there was a credit card business and so I went from managing a small team of people of like five people to managing a thousand people and I don't actually have an MBA so I hadn't been trained on being a leader and I had to figure it out and over the rest of my career over 20 something years I through trial and error and watching people who were good um, learned a whole bunch of things about how you engage people emotionally in work. And what I found was a useful framework for me in thinking about how to be an effective leader of people, leader of a business. And I started uh, about 10, 12 years ago, I started teaching that framework that I had developed to people that worked for me. They found it really helpful. They built great, highly engaged teams. And so uh, one of my communication advisors said to me at one point, you really ought to put this in a book. And um, During the COVID lockdown, I had left Westpac. I had time on my hands and I thought, you know, this is actually a time that's really challenging for leaders who are trying to keep people engaged when they're not even seeing them physically much anymore. And so it seemed like the right time to put something together that was really practical. You know, there's there's so many leadership books out there. I've read loads of them and they're all very conceptual. And I thought, well, maybe as someone who's actually had to do it, and found something that really worked, uh, maybe other aspiring leaders or or in fact, senior leaders who are grappling with how do I engage people might find this useful. And uh, so that's what I've done. And that's, that's what the book is about.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, what would you say when it comes to uh, navigating our new work from home world what do you think is the best thing leaders can do to keep their folks engaged? Because there's the complaint, you know, that you know, how do you build culture? How do you have a sense of a team? All this type of thing when nobody sees each other in person. So how do you how do you advise people navigate that?
1: So I think the starting point is to try to understand what actually leads to people being engaged, regardless of the of the venue. And um, I think it boils down to five things that everyone is, is looking for. Um, and some of this may not be, it's not necessarily that people sit there and go, here are the things I want, but when you observe leaders who are able to keep people engaged, they consistently do five things. And so maybe if I talk about that, and then we can talk about how that uh, changes into a more hybrid or remote working environment. So yeah, let's art. let's
0: begin let's begin with that because I suppose engagement is engagement regardless of the medium.
1: Yeah, yeah. I uh, that well that would be my first proposition is that actually the humans are humans and in the end, people are looking for certain things to make them feel engaged and the hybrid environment has made that harder, but it hasn't changed the fundamentals. And in fact, I think a lot of leaders are letting themselves off the hook by blaming the, the hybrid working rather than acknowledging that what this is really telling them is they're not doing their job properly. As leaders. So if I go through it, um, the first, so what I found is that I could boil it down to five things that all start with C. And I did that, of course, like you could use whatever words you like, but I found that very clever, very clever. Well, you know, I I wanted it to be something I could carry around in my head, um, and remember. And so the reason I call the book, the leadership star is that there's five points on a star. And so I think if someone thinks about a star and says, "Okay, five points, oh yes, five C's," then that can help them unspool the ideas in their head and check themselves as to whether or not they're, they're doing these things. So let's go through the five C's. So the first one is care. And specifically, and, and each of these C's, when I go through it, there's, they're sort of an, at one level, a statement of the obvious, but they each have a subtlety. And the subtlety about care is it's about caring for people as individual human beings rather than as a generic of course i care about my people which most leaders will say and by caring about them as individual human beings it means thinking about how can i help this person be successful on their own terms and in order to do that i need to really know that person beyond just their tasks or you know their professional experience i need to know their name i need to know what they like about their job. I need to know what their aspirations are, what they hate about their job. Um, I need to take an interest in them broadly so that they begin to believe that I'm really interested in them as a person. And that might mean then that I look after their career growth. I help put them into opportunities that, that are going to stretch them. It it doesn't mean I'm always just nice to them. It's not just about saying, you know, how are you doing? It's, it's, at times, giving them tough love and giving them feedback that they need to hear, but having taken the time to build a human connection so that they know that you have their interests at heart when you're giving them that feedback. And it, it's also about knowing that, they, that you care about results and that, and that the outcomes of what they do matters. And so all of that is about sending a message to people that, hey, you matter and, and you're important to me and therefore you're important to the organization. So that's the first C, which is care. Uh, The second C is context. And by the way, feel free to interrupt me if you want to ask about any of this as I go. The, the, The second C is context, and this is really the why. Why does the organization exist beyond just making money, assuming it's a company? And why does what that individual does all day matter to that broader sense of purpose? So people can see a connection between what they're doing all day and some form of contribution to the world that goes beyond just making the boss rich. Um, Now, that notion of context is enhanced if that purpose is something that really resonates with people's personal values. And and so that people feel that their work has meaning, that, that what they do has meaning. So... Um, The the subtlety around this is, for many leaders, that as you get more senior in an organization, that external sense of purpose may be quite obvious to you. But when a new person comes into an organization or someone's perhaps down the ranks a bit working in a particular department, they may not see how their work contributes to something broader. And I used to use this example um, when you know I worked in, in banking and I would visit lots of bank branches and I'd introduce, go in to visit a branch and introduce myself around and uh, the person, you know, I'd say, hi, I'm Brian, what, what do you do? And the person might say, well, I'm Mary, I'm just a teller. And I always knew that if, if someone said to me, I'm just a teller, then the manager wasn't doing their job because they didn't understand that they were in fact the face of the organization to the customers and that how they turned up every day was incredibly important to the perception that the company had more broadly. So that's an example on context. Uh, The third C is clarity. And and clarity has several dimensions. One is role clarity. So do you know what your job specifically is to do, what outputs are expected of you and so forth, and what your degrees of freedom are? Um, The the second is um, goal clarity, which is, over this particular period of time, what does good look like and what does great look like in terms of your assessment and making sure that people are so clear on that, that they could essentially do their own review at the end of a period. And the third element of clarity is behavioral clarity, which is essentially about the values of the organization, what behaviors are okay, what behaviors are not okay. And once again, it's the job of leaders to make sure that people are crystal clear on each of those dimensions. And it sounds really obvious, but it's amazing how often leaders actually make assumptions rather than taking the time to have a, com- a deep conversation that makes sure that the employees are, are really clear. Um, and then just to quickly go through the other two Cs, and then I'm happy to pause and let you. No, no, go it's okay. Like. It's,
0: it's always good when there's a list of something to get through the whole list, and then we'll talk and review. So please continue. Sounds
1: good. Okay, so the fourth C is clearing the way. And this is about identifying the barriers that get in the way of people's success. So they, they've been given clarity about what, what they're meant to deliver, but they will then run into various barriers. And those barriers might be intellectual barriers. They might not have the resources, financial or the tools. They might have emotional barriers, um, like um, they might have relationship issues with people they work with. There might be political uh, things going on. Um, they might not have the right level of authority to make the decisions they need to make and and so on. And the subtlety around this one is that the boss needs to be proactive in really asking people what is in the way or using their own initiative to go and look at what's going on to dive into the detail from time to time and, and make sure they identify things that are holding people back and then take action on those things and where people feel Supported by their boss that their boss wants them to succeed that their boss wants to make their their lives easier that that's a real important driver of engagement. The final of the C's is celebrate and this is really about recognition and um, building a positive spiral between the achievement of success and the recognition of that success in a way that essentially makes people want to do it again because they they feel emotionally rewarded and the subtlety around Celebrate is most people, if you talk about recognition in a work environment, they think about pay and promotions and titles and things like that. But my experience is that the things that really drive that connection, that sense of recognition are more immediate and more creative and more emotionally driven, that, that helps people really feel a deep sense of satisfaction and meaning from what they've achieved. And uh, the challenge for leaders is to be creative, to be using informal and formal recognition, to be doing both team and individual types of recognition, um, to be doing things on a regular schedule, like, you know, a employee of the month or an end of year celebratory party, but also day-to-day, week-to-week, looking for informal ways to to acknowledge people for what they're doing and, and help them connect back To that sense of purpose we talked about earlier. So those are the five C's care, context, clarity, clearing the way and celebrate. Um, And that forms the majority of the things I talk about in the book. And I go into a lot more detail and specific ideas that leaders can apply. But um, I suppose just before I finish, I would say that there are two other things that I talk about as being really important in building a highly engaged workforce or team. And that is number one, the uh, the leader themselves, um, their own self-awareness, in particular, their own authenticity, their own connection to the broader purpose. Because people can spot a phony, and so if you're if you're not yourself as the leader, really bought into what you're doing and clear about your own goals and and understand how you're being perceived, then you're less likely to be effective. And and the other thing that I I talk about in some depth is communication and the importance of using lots of different types of communication vehicles to reinforce the five C's over the course of a period of the course of a year um, so that that people really get those messages sent to them across each of those five dimensions and and my experience is that people who do that systematically and thoughtfully with integrity with authenticity are able to build incredibly highly engaged teams regardless of the situation for that business and um, there's a story I tell at the beginning of the book about a woman who worked for me, who went to shut down a business, fired everyone and still ended up with an unbelievably high uh, staff engagement score because of the way she treated people. Um, And so I think leaders often let themselves off the hook. They say, oh, you know, the market's tough, it's competitive, we're having to cut costs, this or that. Um, But I've seen many, many examples of where, regardless of the difficulty of the situation, uh, people are able to really build strong, emotionally engaged teams and um, uh, I think it can be done, and and I think anybody can do it. I don't think you have to be the the extrovert or the CEO from Central Casting. You just have to be authentic and disciplined. So that's that's broadly what the book's about, and um, hopefully that gives you a few things that uh, that we can chat about.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Well, let's digest. Let's digest. Um, one thing that stood out to me in the whole conversation was um, the the sense of purpose over promotions, and pay increases. Um, why do you think having a sense of purpose is more important than just paying people more?
1: Well, I suppose obviously pay is important, um, particularly when people are struggling and many people are. And so it's it, this isn't in any way to downplay the fact that if someone can improve their life and their family's life by moving jobs to get better pay, um, then they should do that. Um, I think that if you believe in, in a market economy, though, at a certain point, those opportunities will level out in the sense that people will broadly be able to get the same amount of pay for the same level of skills. And, um, and I think companies should aspire to have people who are emotionally engaged, not just um, effectively being bribed to be there, because they're more likely to be more creative, they're more likely to be more resilient, um, and I think ultimately, there's so many businesses that talk about the importance of having the best people. Um, at a certain point in in companies, once people get to the point where they're being paid enough that they're living broadly the life they want to lead, they increasingly start looking for meaning and emotional satisfaction uh, rather than just pay. And and I think that the fact that so many people are leaving companies, we started with this talk about the Great Resignation. Um, I, I really I mean, obviously there are many areas of the economy where, where pay is important and people are leaving for pay or, or conditions. Um, but, but again, I, my experience is that, that that's a failure of, of leadership to create that sort of environment. If you're not paying your people competitively, if you're not creating a, a pleasant working environment, um, that obviously all goes to, to engagement. It's, it's a sort of necessary, but not sufficient, I suppose.
0: Yeah, yeah, and let's let's return to our 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 poor madam who is just a teller. When yeah. somebody says that, what do, what in a leader in a leadership business environment, what does that you you said it kind of tells that her her her, her boss isn't doing in isn't doing his or her job. Wh- yeah. What's what's the what's the subtlety in that statement? What what are what are they not doing correctly that leads someone to
1: say, oh, I'm just the teller. Sure. So in the context of a bank, the way I think about it is banking is a service business. Banks sell the ultimate commodity. They sell money. Everybody's money is the same. Um, And so really, when people go to a bank, they're going to deal with something that's very emotional for them. Money is deeply emotional for people. And and so they want to know that they're dealing with um, a financial provider that's trustworthy, that has their interests at heart that's able to solve issues for them, that doesn't talk down to them, that doesn't make them feel bad or intimidate them. And for many people going in, obviously, things are moving much more digital. So, you know, this example is maybe getting a little on the dated side. But, but when you have an issue, you walk into a bank branch to talk to somebody, um, your impression of that company is going to be formed by the human being that you deal with. And by the way, that's just as true if you ring up on the phone or if you're having a live chat over your over your um, your cell phone with somebody and and so the job of the manager is to make sure that the people who work there number one have been chosen because they actually like people and they like helping people because their job is to fundamentally help people and number two they've got to recognize that it's they're on stage in a sense they are representing the brand they are telling the story of of the brand, and they're they're the the eyes and ears of the company with respect to that customer, and so you want someone who thinks, "Hey, my job's really important, and actually, it's important that I build relationships with these customers that do come in, and that I um, look to empathize with them, that I look to spot opportunities to help them in ways that maybe they hadn't explicitly stated, uh, and so on, and so." It, to me, the role of a manager is not just the operational aspects of opening on time and closing on time and making sure that the till balance is at the end of the day. And there's plenty of that, which can easily consume uh, the time of a manager. But actually for the manager to represent that their most in, recognize that their most important activity is to build a team of people who are a great representation of the of the brand and that build good relationships with their customers.
0: No, no, I think I think that front-facing aspect is something that I think almost universally, m- many companies don't take seriously. Yeah. But like, you know, it's like the people on the front lines who are dealing with your customers, those are actually the most important people because they're the ones your customers actually see. If they screw up, it reflects badly on
1: everybody. Absolutely. Including you. Absolutely. And and it's a downward spiral. You know, I think that this, um, this is why I think in many, in any large company, the frontline managers are almost the most important people in the company because they set the tone for the frontline staff who deal with the customers. And that's why the focus for me around this, there's lots of aspects of leadership, but having a clear framework as to what does it take to engage a team of people I think is really, really important. And companies that don't do it end up with managers who think it's all just about the numbers. It's all just about money. It's all just about um, you know, that people are disposable and how, how productive they are and how fast they work. I think that is, um, I think it's fighting a losing battle. And the great companies are the ones that recognize that you actually build a strong and engaged frontline team. Um, that's what's going to keep you successful over time. You know you look at Disney and the amount of work that Disney say in its resorts puts into the people that it hires and the way they the way they train them and the importance, you know, there's a famous story about um, Disney's executives talking about how the most important person at Disney World is the guy who's uh, sweeping the streets because he's the eyes and ears of what's going on. He can spot the customer that's in the or the guest that's in trouble. He can make a suggestion about where they ought to go and so on. And you know, I think it's no surprise that companies like disney are able to sustain great staff and uh customer engagement over time
0: yeah and that's why um and here's one of the things that i don't i don't understand and i think your book might be helpful for um and is kind of a recent news story we kind of do current events here on the podcast so i always like to try to tie things to current events whenever i can um Delta just started paying their flight attendants for ground time. Mm-hmm. I don't think most people understand flight crews are not paid until the door is shut. And the plane is moving. Uh-huh. Um, and after decades of that Delta flight attendants finally won the right to be paid while they're on the ground. Um, what do you think it is within business culture that leads to something like not paying the staff for the entire time they're actually there and only paying them for the, for like this very specific chunk during this very specific activity, sort of thing. What do you think leads to that, and why does that drag organizations down?
1: I think it's short sightedness, and it's a lack of understanding about how value is really created in companies. So, um, people tend to focus on the short term profit of this year or next year, and the the way that senior executives are often compensated is based on short term returns. When actually, when you buy a company that is, say, a dividend paying stock, and we'll just talk about public companies here for for the sake of the description. Actually, most of what you buy is when you buy a share of stock, you're buying the future. You're buying the future earnings over the long term. You're not buying the dividend of this year and next year. That tends to be a pretty small percentage of what you pay for the share price. And really what drives The value in the long term is the sustainability of earnings over a long period of time, the ability of that organization to grow those earnings over a long period of time, and the amount of risk and volatility that's embedded in those earnings over time. And and if I translate that finance speak into sort of plain speak, what that's really saying is... What's going to drive your ability to be profitable in the long term? Well, it's going to be loyal customers and their willingness to pay a competitive price for what you offer is going to depend on the quality of the service that you provide. Your ability to grow is going to be based on your ability to retain customers and get them to tell their friends that they should use your service. And so when you start thinking about it in those terms, you realize that having High quality service, which is in a business like that, hugely dependent on um, motivated employees who treat their passengers or customers well, Um, it makes a big difference. I mean, this is live for me. I just flew um, from the West Coast to the East Coast last night as it happens, and um, I I noticed a flight attendant was uh, asking people uh, what they wanted for their meal, and there was a passenger sitting um, two seats over from me who had her headphones in. And so she didn't hear the, um, the woman, they didn't hear the announcement about what the options were. And so the woman kind of grumpily, the flight attendant sort of grumpily tapped this woman at, and um, she took her headphones off and um, the woman said, Oh, what are my choices? And um, the flight attendant said, well, you didn't listen. And I just thought, wow, that's a really interesting way to speak to a customer. Um and, well I mean that, that
0: that's kind of rather my point not to interrupt your story but that's kind of rather yeah. my point. I mean how many of us I mean for for so many of us you know the the in-cabin flight crew that's the airline for us. Yeah. Absolutely. I have quit flying airlines over a bad cabin crew bad cabin experience. Yeah. I was a fr- I'm from originally from Denver. I was a Frontier guy for years and years. Like if Frontier didn't go there I wasn't going type of thing. Right and um and what really got me to stop flying frontier is their in-cabin experience and their stuff got crappy yeah the customer for the the experience for the customer got bad and i i switched to alaska because i live in seattle now and we're, alaska you know is here yeah. um and uh in fact i did an advertising campaign for them a little while back um and uh post-pandemic sort of get flying again sort of thing (laughs) like you know sort of thing um all this type of thing and then alaska they kind of um their in-airport experience was not good their in-flight was not good i switched to delta right i I i literally pay more to have nice flight attendants and a better cabin experience
1: yeah yeah
0: you know by paying for a mainline carrier like yeah. because I want it's also really convenient because my father lives in Tuscaloosa. I have to fly to Atlanta often, and right. so <laughs> there's lots of flight availability <laughs> as well, which is nice. But like, but I mean, I would I if if Alaska had a better experience, I would be willing to play the Alaska game. But it's just nicer on Delta. Sorry, yeah. guys, the, well, the p- flight attendants are nicer, the in cabin experience is nicer, and I feel like that's uh, the the reason why Delta is so good is they've focused on that. And I think a lot of these other air carriers are trying to play with fares and all this type of thing, not realizing flying sucks, okay? If you can make it suck any less than it already does, people will beat a path to your door.
1: Yeah. you Don't know, it's to figure that
0: out. <laughs> like,
1: Yeah. And you know what's interesting? I mean, look, uh, w- we should say um, running an airline is hard. Um, there's all sorts of difficult complexities with regulation the costs are huge you get a pandemic and all sorts of other things that can really make it economically very difficult so I can understand how the senior executives make what they see as rational decisions trying to cut costs to stay in the air and the rest of it
0: oh of course I, I, I sat in an initial sales meeting with Alaska Airlines for that ad campaign And I was sitting with the agency who'd hired me and he said, he said, can you, do you think you can close this deal? And I said, yes, absolutely. But there's only one problem. This is January of 2021. We're having this conversation. And I said, here's the only one problem. They're trying to figure out how to keep the lights on right now. Yeah, Nobody's flown anywhere in a year. Yeah. You know, they're trying to figure out how to still be an airline tomorrow. Yeah. So I don't think it's like, yeah, can I close them? Absolutely. But yeah. they're still going to say no, no matter what I do, and I'm very good at what I do, no matter what I do or what I say, it's not going to matter because they're burning cash at the millions of dollars a day. Yeah. Because the, the business is not good right now. I said when people are flying again and the money is coming in that then we can close them because, well, we can say, hey, you need to get people back in the air give us, we're the folks to do that. And that's exactly what we did. And everyone thought I was nuts. And then I'm kind of like, well, say, here you go. So, I mean, I agree it is, but I think to my, to your point though, it's that, it's that mattering about the things that matter to your customers, making it so that when your employees do well, your customers do well, the company does well.
1: Yeah. And I don't know about you,
0: but it seems like that whole attitude has really like left the scene in American business.
1: Well, this is why I say that the great resignation is really an acknowledgement of a failure of leadership, because leaders have lost sight of the importance of engaging their people emotionally. And if I can just go back to your airline example, if you get a chance or your listeners get a chance, go onto YouTube and have a look at the latest Qantas ads. So Qantas in Australia is probably one of the most loved brands of any business. Um, and, uh, and that is all about the quality of the people that they have working there, and and I've, I've been on a few Qantas flights lately, and you know they are they love it, and they just and and they've done a wonderful job with their advertising along the lines of what you were just saying of welcome back, and um, and really creating this sense of of emotional connection with their customers. So it, it can be done; it absolutely can be done. But I think so many leaders have gotten have bowed to this short term financial pressure which is understandable, but it's, it's missing the point about how you create long-term value. And, and in a really important element of that is emotionally engaging your people.
0: Yeah. I know you talked about like emotional engagement of of people um, in terms of like day-to-day stuff, like say someone is listening to this podcast and they're trying to get, you know, it's been a hard two years yeah, and they're trying to get their team kind of, you know, inspired again, sort of thing. What are yep. some practical day-to-day things that people can do to kind of inject some life back into our difficult working
1: world? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm conscious that you started off asking about engagement in, in a hybrid or a remote working environment, and I didn't really answer that because what I wanted to, so this is a good segue back to that to that question, because, so if you buy my proposition that those five things are really the key to engagement, whether it's in a physical office environment or remotely. So then the question becomes, okay, how do I, for example, demonstrate care for the individual in a remote environment? And, um, and I'll give you, this is gonna sound like a funny little simple example, but um, everyone would think, well, gee, you know, we, we get on these Zoom calls and we have a few minutes of how's everybody doing and what are you up to and how was your weekend? But that's not really building personal connections. So, I'll give you two suggestions on that one. So, number one, as a a leader of people, how about pick up the old fashioned phone and give the person a ring just toward the end of the day, not during, not when you're under pressure for a meeting, and and just say, How are you? How are you doing? What's going on in your life? How are you coping to everything? You know, what sort of issues are you facing? Just have a, a genuine human conversation taking an interest in that person and their situation. And the reason I say to do it by phone is that um, when you're on Zoom, you know you're, it's a bit awkward. You're looking at yourself and how you look and it, it, it's just not natural. Whereas when you're talking on the phone, people go into a different space where they can be a bit more reflective. And if you get them at the right time of day when there's not five other people on, they're worried about how they sound compared to those other people, you have an ability to make a connection. So that'd be one thing. Um, I've also heard about examples when you're trying to build a team. Great example I heard recently was about um, virtual coffees. And so let's say you've got a team of 10 people, they would set up a, a routine where uh, once a week they would pair people up and, and ask that at, at an appropriate time that was up to those people to schedule during the, the week that they would get on a Zoom call together and have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee together and just have a chat. Not about anything to do with business, no particular outcome. Just set aside half an hour, get to know each other a bit better. And then every week, alternating that around so that people start to build connections with other people in the team um, in a way that's hard to do when you're looking at you know thirty faces on a zoom screen. So that's that's um, that's one example um, on the care one. And And I'll go on to one more on context. So the other thing that can be pretty difficult when you're working remotely, is this whole meaning piece, because in a lot of businesses, if you're, if you have a physical product or you're delivering service in a physical location, you might get more um, exposure to the customers or the people who are downstream from your department that, and the benefits that they get from the work that you do, you get more kind of psychic feedback by being able to see that. And so one of the things that I've seen leaders do is say, all right, let's, set up some virtual sessions where maybe we go on a virtual tour of our customer's facility, or maybe we organize some feedback sessions with some co- real life customers to come on and talk about how they're using our product or service and what it means to them and what what role it plays in their life. Or maybe let's say you're a finance department and and you're doing some accounting work or you're doing some spreadsheeting work. Maybe you get the people who are using that output to get on and talk about how they're how they're using what you're doing, so that people can start to really have reinforced to them that this work I'm doing isn't just going off into the universe; it's actually having an impact. And that's a way to start reminding people that that the work that they do actually has meaning. So I think you could take all five of the Cs and just think about how can I bring this to life in a creative way, and now that i'm not seeing people physically am i actually still doing all five of these things um and that the five c's to me are a great little uh, checklist to ask yourself if i'm having trouble retaining people or I'm ha- if i feel like we're having motivational issues well all right when's the last time i really took steps to build those individual connections to demonstrate that 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 care for for people um when's the last time we celebrated and how did we do it and to what extent did that have emotional content or was it just some kind of you know rote thing that we did? Um, th- yeah. Those are the sorts of things that I'd suggest.
0: Yeah, I, when you talked about the Great Resignation being sort of a repudiation of, of leadership, I was thoughtful of a story someone told me one time and I, I had, this is a guy who was a computer programmer and he does um, billing systems for municipal water systems. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. And I asked him, but it's written in a lot of old codes and systems that like only he knows. And so he's very valuable because not many people know how to work with these systems. And I said, um, I said, you know, I said, uh, you know I, I feel like you could make, you know a lot more money elsewhere. And he's like, yeah, I could, but here's the thing even with the pay bump increase by the time I take out additional retirement contributions, taxes, and all this type of thing, the extra stress just isn't worth it. Plus, where I am, I can pretty much come and go as I want to. I can work from home, which means I can pick up the kids from school when my wife can't, and you can't put a price on that. Yeah. yeah. So he was staying at an organization because he had the literally. He was like, I I have enough flexibility because his wife. Basically invented the medical billing and coding industry, so her right. job is way more stressful because <laughs> right. like she literally like wrote the book they use to train medical billing and coding. And so his thing was kind of like, yeah, I make a little less money so I can pick up my kids from school because yeah. I can piece out at three o'clock and go grab the kids because my wife can't can very very rarely is able to do that sort of thing.
1: Well, that's a I great think, example of what I was saying about it's, yeah. it's how are they successful on their terms. Yeah, you know, and that's, yeah, that's
0: yeah, uh, that's and it's funny because I'm thinking, like, I feel like so many businesses I wonder if this resonates with you. I feel like there are so many businesses that could solve their great resignation problem by finding out little small things that would make their employees' lives just a little bit easier and would people would end up staying like this guy I know, yeah, because of those little benefits. Like, if you let someone come in a half hour early or adjust their lunch so they can go grab their kids from school or, you know, make an evening activities with their family, whatever have you, those little things, people will end up staying just because they've, they've got that one thing that really makes their life easier
1: so so i and agree then you with have that.
0: less training costs lower turnover yeah. costs or oh, hr costs i mean it's it seems stupid but it really will help your bottom line you'll save a lot of money <laughs> like you know
1: absolutely right hey look i agree with that i would just bump it up a level um sort of a meta level which is that those things are also imputing a message to the employee that they matter so it's not just the mechanical so aspects true. So true. of of that it's you know, I, I was thinking when you were talking about your friend, the the programmer, it's also about a boss who says to them, hey, you know, we really appreciate that you've got we recognize and appreciate that you've got that specific knowledge. And that's really cool. And, you know, we really value that here, you know, that you're not just a cog in the wheel, you're actually someone important. So, it's you know, it's not just about the the mechanical things. It's also and when I say the emotional aspect, it's not just about hey, we love you and all that kind of stuff, you know, the family stuff. It's also just, it's it's making people feel that they matter and that they're valued. And part of that is, hey, we're willing to accommodate ourselves to you because you matter.
0: No, definitely, definitely. I was wondering in all of your looking at leadership and all this type of thing, and you've been in business long enough to have gone through, you know, several batches of young people, a lot of people think managing millennials and Gen Z is impossible. I'm a millennial myself. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is the the great leadership secret sauce to making the under 40 crowd happy?
1: So I, I think, well, I think that human beings are human beings um, at one level, but I think different groups will over-index on certain things. So I think the sh- the simplest answer to your question would be, I think for millennials, a sense of purpose and meaning and alignment of values is a lot more important than job security and prestige and um, and pay, which doesn't mean those things aren't important and they may become more important over time. But I think probably one of the big differences is that people want to feel like I'm working for an organization that I can feel proud of because the values and behaviors of that organization align with me and the sort of person that I want to be. Um, and I think the second part would be, they would over-index probably a bit on the, and this company is genuinely committed to my development. You know, people, they're, they're um The complaint that people have about millennials is they want to be the CEO of the company within three years and get frustrated if they're not. Um, but I think if you, you know, which is sort of an amusing thing, but, but if you unpack that a bit, it's, it's they have, they're ambitious, they want to be challenged, they want to grow, and so they want to see a company that's actually taking a real interest in, in helping them to grow and, and achieve their ambitions. Um, and, and I think all of that, again, aligns very well with um, the idea of demonstrating that you actually care about them as an individual.
0: No, no. And I, I, for me, the first one never really much mattered to me. I've worked with people all over the world doing all sorts of things. I don't really care what the value of your business is, um, to, to be honest. Um, however, I, I am mindful when I'm in an organization where there's nowhere for me to
1: go. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reason I do this. Um, <laughs> can I it, just push back on that slightly? I mean, I've read a bit about yeah. your background. And, and, you know, you're a creative and you want to create and you want to express Right. And you want to contribute to dialogue about politics and business and life and philosophy. Right. I mean, that's what that's what I see when I look at your work. And so I, I do think it seems to me um, that you are motivated by a sense of purpose.
0: Well, yes, that that is true. And in, in, in terms of my work, yes, I, as someone must have read the artist statement, because I always talked about, you know, it's not my job to go out and do the thing. It's my job to inspire the people who will go out and do the thing and mm-hmm. empower them with what they need to go and do the thing. Yeah. Um. Yes, I, I, absolutely. A, however, I'm in, you know, I mean, I've worked for, you know, airport transportation companies. My last W-2 job was at an HVAC company. There's mm-hmm. no There's no value and purpose to be had in air conditioning. Um, and, and heating, especially in the, in the Pacific Northwest, but you know what I was most mindful of. I had nowhere to go. I was the director of marketing. There wasn't anybody, there wasn't anyone above me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There was nowhere for me to go. If I was ever going to move up, it was going to be moved on to something else. and probably out of that industry because it's mm-hmm. a medium sized business industry. And I worked for the premier company in our city right there wasn't anywhere for me to go sort of thing so it it was sometimes hard to slog through some of the more difficult aspects of the job in the organization just because there was nowhere there was nowhere for me to go sort of thing and and actually the job that i had that preceded that, because i I took off from this for a couple years before i came back to this world and actually my leaving that organization was how i got back into doing this um the organization before that was the same problem. It was a, it was a small, it was an industry trade association. We were a staff of 13. There was nowhere for me to go. Right. The job, the job I was hired at was the only job in that organization I was going to take. And so we didn't have anything of professional development because where were you going to develop to? Right. The only d- development you were going to do was be getting going on somewhere else. Um. And some people didn't, a lot of people didn't. So um, I think there is uh. I think that for a lot of people you're absolutely right working with an organization that aligns with certain personal principles is really important um, and but I also but I think the big big thing that you mentioned that I I totally agree with and I've seen it in my own self is that ability to get promoted that long-term potential right. and I see it my I have a dear friend of mine we've been friends for 15 years and she just got a job in a local um, nonprofit healthcare firm here in the Seattle area. And one of the things she keeps talking about is that she finally has a career with long-term potential. There's things she can move up to and onto and all this type of thing. And that honestly has has her excited. She turned down another job. She wanted more to do this because it had long-term potential.
1: Right. Fascinating.
0: Yeah, and that was the point. The other job was retail. It was nice paying. It was one of her favorite stores to shop at all this type of thing. But she was gonna be the store manager again. Right. Not much place to go. But this over in this healthcare organization, she has multiple career paths. And so she ended up taking that because multiple career paths. So I I would say what you're saying is absolutely spot on. Good. and and she also loves the fact that you know the because they're a nonprofit they help people access healthcare who can't necessarily afford it
1: there you go well that's the meaning thing again
0: yeah so and it was kind of funny cuz her husband was talking about you know all the healthcare and all this type of thing and she's kind of like actually we're a nonprofit and we help people a lot like with a lot of different things like billing arrangements and different things that we can do to help people access healthcare because we're not we're technically a nonprofit so we have more flexibility than, and, the,
1: than the then the then the
0: big for-profit company, and, and that was and, also really important to her as well.
1: That's great, and you know what? I'm sorry to interrupt. I was what I was going <laughs> to say is I bet you her. I bet you her. That there's a good leader in that organization that helped her see that connection.
0: Yes, she has worked in a lot of places, and she's worked in medical before, and she is. I think she she was definitely one from the, her interview. She was excited about the people she was going to be working for. which was really helpful. And the fact that she's only been there actually just a month now, she got that job on my birthday a month ago. So (laughs) she's only been there just a month now and she's talked and we were were having this conversation just the other weekend about, you know, like it's like, yeah, like we can actually like help people and do different things because of how our business is structured. And so like at the fundamental level, she's new under 90 days and she already understands how important that is as part of a mission of the organization. Well,
1: that's good leadership.
0: That's good leadership. Yeah, that's great leadership right there. That's it. Absolutely. Well, we're coming to the top of the hour. This is all very fascinating. I bored you with the stories of my various and sundry friends um, (laughs) and a few stories of my
1: own. So it's great (laughs) great to reinforce the points.
0: Yeah. So why don't you let us know where we can find you
1: online? Sure. Well, um, so the book is The Leadership Star, A Practical Guide to Building Engagement. And it's available in all the usual places, um, Amazon and so forth um, online. There's also a website called uh, the TheLeadershipStar.com, which uh, tells a bit more about the book. If you sign up, you I'll email you a chapter of the book, and you can have a have a look and see if it's um, something that you're interested in, and that's that's free. Um, and then I'm on LinkedIn as well, um, easy to find. And uh, hope that um, hope that people find this uh, useful. Um, I really, uh, having done my leadership jobs over the time, I found that when you could help someone else become a, a better leader, it was incredibly satisfying and Hopefully this book will help lots of other people be inspired to uh, become better leaders and start to address the great resignation.
0: That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners. So please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.